Hello and welcome to the MSL Consultant Podcast. I'm your host and founder of MSL Consultant, Aoife O'Dwyer. Today on the podcast, I interview Ross Baker, VP Medical Affairs at Vistagen Therapeutics. We discuss what his week looks like as a VP Medical Affairs for a small biotech, what are the different functions he works with, and as a senior leader, how does he make decisions? We also talk about what advice he would give for people listening who interact with senior leadership, And when working as a VP for a company with many pipeline products and fast track designations, what type of prioritization skills are required and what is the framework he uses in order to prioritize the right activities to ensure the success of the business and the medical affairs department. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Ross, and welcome to the MSL Consultant Podcast. Hi, Aoife. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Before we get into the topic, can you give the audience a little bit about your background and your career in medical affairs to date? Sure. And just as a qualifier, I want to make sure that it's understood that the uh, what I say today and any opinions I express are strictly my own and not and I'm not representing my company. Yeah. So a little background. I've been married for 30 years now. I have two children, a daughter in college and a son in high school. And uh, it's a pleasure to have them as my support system as I go through my career. So I started out uh, getting a PhD in neuroscience. And then I did a postdoc at the NIMH. And from NIMH, I went to University of Pittsburgh and uh, all my positions, I was interested in hormonal interactions with the brain, stress hormones like ACTH and cortisol, cytokines, and reproductive and steroid hormones. And that interest is still part of my daily work, even today. So it's it's been a common thread for me. But while I was at uh, University of Pittsburgh, it became clear to me that I did not want to stay in academia. And so they have a a one-year MBA program. And I uh, applied there, did a one-year MBA, transitioned out of academia. And I must say that the MBA experience was very important because it gave me a chance to learn a new language and a new way of thinking about business that was helpful in in navigating a career in in corporate America. So once I finished my MBA, I was put in touch with a recruiter who got me a position with the medical education division of a big Manhattan, New York, um, Madison Avenue advertising agency. And they were working for Pfizer at the time, doing the very first direct-to-consumer ads on TV with Bob Dole. So it was an exciting time to be in advertising. And then from there, I took a position as a medical writer, working with companies on on manuscripts and so forth. And then finally, I transitioned to industry and got a job as an in-house medical writer at a company called Organon. So from there, I progressed to different positions at Bristol-Myers Squibb, at Oska, and now at Vistagen. 
and, and one of the a couple of things maybe not completely relevant to my specific career but a couple things that i thought i would mention here and that is how important networking is so the jobs i've gotten after getting my first job at Organon, every job after that that I got in the pharma industry was through contacts and people who I knew who were looking to hire somebody. So over 20 years of three different uh, career uh, transitions, I never had to work with a recruiter or worry about what it was going to be like to go to work at a new company because I already knew some of the people who were on the team. Wonderful. The last point I want to make to help with networking is something I've done over much of my career, and that is volunteering for committees that support scientific organizations. Well, anybody can do that. I see MSLs do it at, at, at times, and it's a great way to get to know people who are in the scientific community, and it's also a great way to show people that pharmaceutical industry employees are really ready to give back or are committed to giving back to the to the greater scientific community. Brilliant. I think that's really good advice, not just for medical science liaisons, but for aspiring medical science liaisons as well, where networking is anybody, anybody. a key component of the role. Um, so you mentioned you're currently at Vistagen and you're working as a vice president of medical affairs. So for those listening who haven't worked for a small biotech before or haven't been in a VP medical affairs role before, can you give a quick overview of what your week looks like as a vice president of medical affairs for a small biotech? So yes, I think the first thing I'll comment on is we work completely remotely. So that can be challenging in that you have these Zoom meetings all day or and you don't get to see people or talk to people directly. And one of the things we do at Vistagen, and the same applies at other companies, but in a slightly different way. But one of the things we do is we try to get together fairly regularly on the, on the East Coast with the people who live within a two or three hour distance. So an easy train ride. Sometimes we meet in Philadelphia, sometimes in New York. And then sometimes our CEO will take a day with a, a small team in New York City just to uh, bring everybody together and, and have that time. And of course you have dinner together and it, it's a great way to get to know the people you work with. And, and something that you have to think about in this day and age of remote working environments. And even when we weren't remote, the the value of getting a team together at a Congress and, and maybe taking an extra day to do some strategy planning or budgeting is something that uh, I've often done or always done. And particularly when you're working in a partnership with another company, to bring the people together and be in the same room and, and discuss face-to-face -face can be invaluable in um, smoothing out some of the rough edges of having two companies try to agree on a strategic plan or a budget. Yeah, 100%. And there is something that just can't be replaced um, by Zoom because those face-to-face -face interactions enables you to really read the room 
to yep. spot the body language, to really listen to different intonations and in people's voices and use that emotional intelligence to really assess a situation and how a certain message or situation might be landing with the other party. Um, so based on what you said, it sounds like a big part of your role is strategic direction um, for the medical yes. affairs department. Yeah. Yes. One last point, though. Reading the room in the meeting room is important, but I would wager the dinner after is probably even more important. Because yeah. that's where you can really discuss and say what your concerns are one-on-one -on -one in, in, uh, at the end of the table or after dinner at the bar. Yeah, yeah. And often when people are in a less formal setting, um, they can relax a little bit more, they can be a little bit more honest and it's easier to yep. have some of those conversations, yeah. Yes. Um, and so in your current role, you mentioned the CEO, you mentioned different companies, but what are the different functions that you work with as a VP of medical affairs at a small biotech? So at the stage we are at, we have, we just had a positive phase three study readout for treatment of social anxiety disorder. And that sort of triggered a whole bunch of new activity. But because we don't have a product on the market, the functions that I am involved in, pretty much everyone in the company, is involved in clinical development. So planning our next phase three trial and what we need to do for a filing. Our commercial team setting the stage for when we have a product on the market. The regulatory team, which has to have interactions with FDA on a regular, well, is planning regular interactions at the appropriate time. There's corporate communications people who wouldn't get involved in the press releases, legal and patent. Then I work sometimes in meetings. I have meetings with the preclinical and translational medicine group to think about experiments that might be helpful as we progress our pipeline. And then business development. That's a, a big part of our lives at a small company. Yeah. In the, um, and then on regular interactions with our medical writing agency who help us with posters for congresses and manuscripts. Yeah. And at your level, do you still have interactions with key opinion leaders? Oh, yes. All the time. Yeah. But so does our CEO. Yeah. Brilliant. So you can really understand from people on the ground uh, what's required in the market. And I'm sure some of those insights are used to shape your messaging that then goes to the Medcoms agency to yeah. create some of your materials. That's right. And, and I uh, do our meetings one-on-one -on -one at this stage. We don't have large advisory boards. But it, it works. For, is, for there, the is there a reason that you choose one-on-one -on -one as opposed to advisory boards at this early stage in the product life cycle? I mean, partly I think because the pandemic changed people's way of thinking and partly because sometimes just one hour face to, uh, on a Zoom call with our KOLs is enough to get the information we need rather than bring everybody together and schedules are tight. And yeah. They'd rather do it that way, I think, as well. Yeah. But when the time comes, we'll have uh, group meetings because they can also be very effective. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that 
it really depends on what you're trying to get out of it. So you're not having advisory boards for the sake of advisory boards. You're asking the question, what information do we need? And can it be done on a one hour Zoom call? And if yes, then let's go that route as opposed yes. to organizing an ad board with eight or 12 KOLs. Mm -hmm. and, and generally we have development questions. Yeah. So it's not something that requires a group to ponder the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as a senior leader working in what sounds like a very agile environment because uh, you're very new and it's a small team, how do you make decisions? If you have an opportunity or you need to make a certain decision, do you have a certain framework that you go through that helps you to make difficult decisions? Yes, and I want to say up front that it's not likely I will have the ability to make a decision on my own. So the way I would reframe the question is as a senior leader, how do you make recommendations to your CEO? Yeah. That's how it works in our company. Hmm. Um, and so to do that, you have to really gather as much information as possible. You have to talk with your colleagues, even if you have to set up a one-on-one -on -one meeting, you have to talk to your colleagues to hear what the history is behind whatever question is on the table, what's known, what, what the company has done before. It's amazing how many times I'll hear, oh, we already did that. Oh, geez, oh, I wish I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really important to to touch the people who are involved in the whatever decision has to be made and be sure that you have all the history of what the company has done in the past. Then of course, there's a clinical study, the more formal clinical study reports that can be reviewed, um, publications, earnings reports, both internal and external, and of course, Google. <laughs> yes, yeah. And then once you have all the information, I can then make a recommendation and Sometimes at our company, the senior management or particularly our CEO values getting different opinions so that he can look at every side of a story before he does make his final decision. Yeah, so really utilizing that knowledge and insights to make the most informed decision that you can at that point in time with all the information you have to hand. Exactly. And what advice would you have for people listening who interact with senior leadership in medical affairs? What are the attributes that some of your colleagues have or some colleagues have had in the past throughout your career that really make them stand out for you, that really make you enjoy working with them? What is it about those people um, and how they interact with senior leadership that makes them easy to work with? Um. Depending on who your senior leadership is, and, and you have to look at how decisions are made in, in your particular company, but when you are interacting with senior leadership, don't be afraid to give a contrary opinion. Because that shows that you really thought through a problem. And as I said before, it makes sure that whoever's going to make that final decision is going to make it with all the information at his or her disposal. I also would offer here in interacting with senior leaders in the biotech community is to understand 
that their most key stakeholder group is the investment community. And so you have to consider the kinds of information investors are looking for in contrast to what you would include in a peer-reviewed scientific manuscript. Mm. So investors want to know um, what what changes are you going to make into in in your new trials? What are what are your timelines? How many patients? Um, so they're they're focused on essentially when is the result going to be known? What's the likelihood of success? Of course, you have the same concerns in house, but that's where the investment community is coming from. And anything you can do to communicate confidence in the trials you're designing and the studies you're doing is helpful. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And it's where we really see um, the commercial acumen that's often listed in medical science liaison, medical advisor, medical director, uh, job descriptions really coming into its own, particularly when you work for a smaller company that is backed by investors. You really need to not only serve the patients that your product treats, but also really have that commercial and strategic mindset. So you can demonstrate to the people who are funding the research um, in the most appropriate way, how things are going and the likelihood for success. Yes, indeed. And working as a VP for a company with a lot of different pipeline products, and I know you mentioned that one of the products has just um, completed phase three and you often- One phase three, one phase three study, so. Yeah, one phase three study. Um, and you might have some fast track designations. It sounds like you would require a lot of prioritization skills in your role. So how do you prioritize what you and your teams should be focusing on? Well, regulatory approval is the goal, or, or at least NDA submission. So that's the top priority. And so everything we do is with the consideration of what impact will this have on our uh, submission of an NDA in a timely manner. And that means anything we can do to facilitate the start of our next phase three study is our top priority. Yeah. But a after that, it depends. Um, sometimes there's a, a business development need that has to be attended to right away because there's a deadline, usually within a few days. <laughs> um, we also write grants, just like in academia. The um, the NIH has a small business granting committee. I forget what exactly it's called. SBI Small Business Investment, something or other. But it gives you know a couple million dollars to small biotech companies that can help them do studies that may give them a signal as to whether or not to pursue a particular indication. Mm, yeah, and I love when asked about prioritization you have one very clear goal in mind. So you can ask the question, well, does this activity get us closer to our goal of registration? Yes. And it's an easy way to identify, well, if it does, then yes, we should prioritize this activity. But if it doesn't get us closer to our goal of registration, then maybe this is something that we can park for now and focus on those activities that do get us closer. Having that clarity, particularly in a small team where you have limited resources would be exceptionally important, I imagine. 
Um, so given the range of experience you've had over your entire career in medical affairs, throughout your career, has there been a mistake that you made that proved to be a huge learning for you? Yeah, <clears throat> I thought about this one a lot. And I had in mind some hindsight, and maybe I, I will have time to share it. But then I thought a, a piece of practical advice I can give to people who are looking at jobs and medical affairs. It's very difficult to fill someone else's shoes. So it's it's difficult to come into a role as someone else's replacement. And by that, it's somebody, maybe they've left the company or joined a different team. And now you have the task of replacing this person who's been on a team maybe for two, three, four years, has relationships within the company, has relationships with KOLs. I guess the same goes for a new MSL, although maybe it's a little bit easier to to maintain the KOL relationships. But when, when you come in as a replacement, then you kind of have to win over those KOLs all, all, again, as if you were completely new. And sometimes it can sour. I've seen that happen. And then internal company colleagues may not want to see you succeed and they, they may not be as, uh, as good a teammate as, as the alternative career, which is one that I've been lucky enough to have um, after, well, when I joined Otsukai, I was joining the company to help launch a new product. And when that happens, then you come in brand new to the team and you can sort of shape the way things are done and, and build the team around yourself. I mean, you probably have some senior leaders, but coming in fresh is always better than coming in as a replacement for someone. And then, uh, of course, I came over to Vistagen. I was in medical affairs or hired to, to be the VP of medical affairs. And then um, when we had to put off our development a little bit because the um, we have to do another phase three study, then my job changed a little bit. And my title was actually vice president of medical strategy. So... That's the bottom line is coming in as a with a clean slate is is preferable to coming in and having to replace somebody. And if you do, then you want to know everything about how you can do things differently in a more team friendly way, et cetera. Yeah. And one of the advantages of going into an organization with a clean slate, as you mentioned, maybe you an organization is launching a new product. They don't have heritage in the space is you can really demonstrate the impact. Because if you join a very well-established team, it's more difficult to affect change, number one, because change management is something that is difficult and a lot of people don't like change, particularly sure. if there's someone new who comes in and they're trying to change things. Whereas if you join a new organization, a new team, and you are one of the first people there, you have the ability to really shape what it looks like, which means if in the future then you are looking to progress in your career, you'll have a lot of tangible things that you have done because the infrastructure maybe wasn't there for that team. The KOL relationships weren't there. Um, so you can demonstrate your impact that yeah. you've had more clearly. And just incidentally, getting back to the networking piece. So the 
person who hired me at Vistagen, he was the CMO, and he and I worked together in the same lab at the NIMH when I first started my postdoc. Wow. <laughs> so that just goes to show the importance of networking. And is there yeah. something in particular you do to maintain those professional relationships that you've had over the years? Are you active on LinkedIn? Would you regularly go to networking events and catch up with people? I mostly do it at congresses because that's when almost everybody is around. So I just yeah. try to make it a point to check in with people there live, face to face. Yeah. And, and that's some really good advice because a lot of people go to congresses and they focus on KOLs and external experts, but it's also an opportunity, particularly maybe if you're not attending sessions and there aren't as many doctors and physicians around for you to connect with other colleagues in the pharma industry, share a little sure. bit of best practice and build some of those important relationships as well. Exactly. And, and another thing to consider is going to smaller meetings gives you a greater opportunity to interact with people. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Often with the larger meetings, there's so many different streams. The Congress halls are absolutely gigantic. But in the smaller meetings, there's one stream, there's one place mm -hmm. for coffee afterwards. The networking opportunities are just a lot easier. Exactly. Brilliant. Ross, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your insights today. Well, thank you, Ivo. It was a pleasure. And thanks. Keep in touch. Yeah, take care. All right. Thank you very much.